0: Let's now, let's now see how God dealt with Pharaoh and in this process, we will learn more about the character of God. Now many people have this idea, especially after reading Romans chapter 9, that God has mercy on whom he had mercy and whom he hardens, he hardens. and Pharaoh was in this passage of scripture, it would appear that God just arbitrarily just picks somebody and hardens his heart. Now, when we look at how God dealt with Pharaoh, we must understand that first, Pharaoh chose to have a hardened heart. The way he dealt with the Egyptian slaves
1: For years
0: before God dealt with him, he was hardened. He was sending their babies, male babies, to be killed. He was treating them very, very roughly. And even when God used Moses to put judgment on Pharaoh, we will notice that Pharaoh first hardened his heart. And then the Bible keeps saying, and he hardened his heart. In fact, like something like seven times, it's Pharaoh first that hardens his heart. And then we see God responding in a sense that you want to harden your heart? That's the way you want to go? Well, that's the way you will go. I'll help you to go in that direction. So while there are many people who like to emphasize the sovereignty of God in the election, he can choose who he wants, he can harden who he wants it almost appears that that's the only uh, character of God is sovereignty. You know, that's not true. God's also merciful. God's also just. And so when we see the judgment on Pharaoh, we see the full character of God. He had waited a long time before he sent Moses to Pharaoh. And then even when he sent Moses to deal with Pharaoh, he allowed Pharaoh to respond first. And finally, it reaches a certain point when God, in his wisdom, in his mercy, and his sovereignty, realizes that this man is determined to continue this way, then I will help him in his direction. So we see that God is sovereign, but he is fair. So, what we see here is how God dealt with Pharaoh. Now, how did God send the plagues? How did God deal with the Egyptians again? When God sent the plagues, He did not just come full blast. He sent them step by step. He started first with plagues that caused disturbances. the water turned the blood. Then frogs came into their house. Then the land, the dust of the land became lice. So that's very disturbing, but that's not really dangerous. But as they continued, Pharaoh continued to harden his heart, then God stepped up the plagues. He sent disease on the animals, plague on the animals. And then when they continue in, in hardness, then he sends danger to their life. He sends hailstones that could kill them. Could, but didn't. As long as he took shelter. And finally, after having stepped up slowly from disturbance to disease, to life-threatening danger, finally he brings death to the firstborn of Egypt, So you see how God, in his mercy, in his patience, stepped up the judgments, giving them time, giving Pharaoh and his leaders time to respond. Similarly, we see the plagues did not hit the humans straight away. It hit nature first. Frogs died a lot. Lice came up and died. Lice died. Right, And then he hit the animals. And then finally, he hits people. So I hope you see here, while people, some people like to see one character of God, oh, God chooses whom he will, God hardens whom he will. It's like, hmm, God just closes his eye and pointed at some old, I'll harden that guy. God doesn't work that way, right? When we understand the whole Bible, we see a story like this, we begin to understand, not just read Romans chapter 9 and say, ah, election, there's a new doctrine I learned today. You know, are you elected or not elected? Let's just look at the whole Bible, the context of the Bible. How did God elect to judge the nation of Egypt or Pharaoh? So when we see this, we begin to have a better understanding of our God, the character, the wonderful character of our God. Let's now take a closer look at the Passover. God instructed them to every household to find a lamb of one year, male, take it into the house on the 10th day of the first month. For four days, they were to be with this lamb to check it out that it was unblemished. The 14th day of the month, they were to kill that lamb, take the blood of the lamb, and paint the frame of their door. The rest of the animal was then to be roasted not boiled not left in any prepared in any other way except to be burned and then eaten by the family the family was to eat this passover meal fully dressed shoes clothes already packed to go and on that night god said A destroying angel would come and destroy everyone, firstborn, in every house that did not have the blood on the doorpost. When the angel saw the blood on the doorpost, he would pass over that house so nobody would be hurt. And then immediately on that night after the meal, they left Egypt To make their journey out of Egypt Let's look at the parallel What happened 1,500 years After this first Passover meal Jesus was brought into Jerusalem Came into Jerusalem 10th day of the first month of the Jewish calendar examined by authorities and they say we find no fault in him Yet, on the 14th day in the evening, about 3 p.m. as the sun was about to start setting he was crucified suffered unimaginable sufferings In the eyes of man, and of course, more than that, he suffered and died for our sins. Not just at the hands of the Romans, but he paid the penalty for our sins. As God judged him for our sins, uh, as he bore our sins. Right? So, I hope you can see the parallel here between the Passover lamb 1,500 years ago and... Our Passover lamb, the blood protected this house, the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses me from all sin. One day I can stand before my God, the judge of my life and say, I'm a sinner, I deserve to die, but Christ's blood, Christ's death, Christ's blood has paid for my sins. Right, So this is, I hope you see the parallel between the two. Another order they were given was that when they had this Passover meal, they were to be followed immediately by the Feast of Unleavened Bread. In other words, for the next seven days, there should be no leaven found among them. Leaven in the Bible or yeast speaks of sin because yeast has a way of you put a little bit into a lump of dough it's a way of spreading, right? A little bit of sin in us tends to spread, right? So they were to be sure that they got rid of leaven from their surroundings. Mm. Similarly, after we become Believers, we have to search our lives and start putting away sins from our life. So I hope you see the very nice parallel. Now the Passover meal is still celebrated 3,500 years after the first one. Jewish families still have the Passover meal. And traditionally, in the Passover meal, the youngest in the meal table would ask, what does all this mean? And the oldest member of the family will then say, We took this, We take this Passover in remembrance of the fact that the firstborn of Egypt were killed on that night, but we were spared because of the blood of the lamb. So up to today, The gospel message is still heard in Jewish families, except they have not realized, rather they will not believe that their Messiah has already come 2,000 years ago and died and shed his blood for them. They cannot accept that their Messiah died such a terrible death. A carpenter's son dying on a cross doesn't fit their mind of a messiah, a conquering king. They want to see a king conquer physically, rather than Jesus who conquered for us over all our sins. He paid the penalty. So that's the meaning of the Passover. Let's now look at some events that took place after the Passover meal the Israelites are all packed and ready to go and then God led them all how do you lead two to three million people with a microphone no God led them by a pillar a pillar of fire which became a pillar of cloud during the day so it was this pillar that led them for the next 40 years. It led these huge, mass of people following this pillar of fire to get out of Egypt. What is this pillar supposed to be a type of? God leads us. God doesn't just save us from bondage. Save us from hell, God saves us from to something. In other words, we're not just saved from suffering, we're saved to Christ likeness. So they are now being led out by this pillar. Amazing. Everybody could see it. three million people see this massive tower of fire. Mm. Then they came to the Red Sea. And a lot of people like to make fun of this story. How do you part the Red Sea? The <laughs> Bible says a wind came and then the sea parted as if it were like two walls. And they went across on dry land. Imagine two walls of water held up by invisible hand. And you see the fish and you see all the huge uh, sea creatures. And yet, you just walk across as if you're like going through one of these amazing aquariums nowadays, mm. uh, where well you can actually watch the fish because a glass panel holds the water. Mm. So as they across it, people say, how can it be? Maybe it was not really a sea, but it was like marshland. And it's true. Between Egypt on the way to the Promised Land, there are some areas that are kind of marshy. And they say, oh, it's not the Red Sea, it's the reed sea, reeds, you know, like marsh. Now, of course, if that was their explanation of this miracle Egyptians can cross, I mean, the Israelites can cross, how do they explain the next part? The Egyptian army came charging after them in their chariots, mighty army, and the whole army was drowned. How do you drown people in reeds, in the marsh, Right, would the Egyptian army be drowned in a marsh? So, trying to explain away one miracle, they have now to say God did another miracle, He drowned the Egyptian army with weeds and marsh and, and grass. Right, so that's the crossing of the Red Sea. Now, shortly after they cross, they face a problem no water. And so they found a place where there was water and they drank the water and it was bitter. It's like undrinkable water. And so they called that place Mara. Mara means bitter. But they were told to make this water drinkable, nice. They needed to cut a tree and throw it into this water. What is that a type of? Again, we're seeing types throughout Exodus. Christ. hung on a tree, the New Testament says that, on a trunk. This trunk was thrown in, and the water now became pleasant. I guess it's a type of, when Christ comes into our struggles and our problems, even the bitterness, even the problems of life are sweet, are nice. We can actually have, in the midst of crisis, have great joy and peace in our heart so after that they had faced another problem food <laughs> how do you feed two to three million people and god dropped air dropped manna for them what is the meaning of the word manna manna simply means what is it right? when this stuff dropped from heaven in it landed on the ground, it became like little wafers, tiny wafers, small wafers, tasting sweet like honey. Okay, so basically they had what we would call complete food in that wafer because it sustained them for 40 years. 40 is always a number of testing. This food had been tested for 40 years and it sustained them throughout their journey, a complete food. We wish we could get this kind of food in a crisis like we are going through now. You know, how wonderful the government just gives us stacks of complete food. Everything. We don't have to worry about buying vegetables to get your vitamins, C, and then to buy your vitamin pills, and to get all, just in one little packet. Now, this manna is literally bread dropped from heaven. And Jesus later... In John chapter 6, it says, I am the bread of life. I am the bread from heaven. Okay? So we see, while they were sustained by this manna, Jesus says, you, through your Christian life, will be sustained by me. If you have Christ in your heart, and you live a life dependent on Christ, you will go through victoriously. Then again, they face another problem. Again, the water. And then Moses struck the rock and water gushed out from the rock. And from thenceforth, they always had water coming out from rock. Now again, Christ in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 is likened to that rock in the wilderness. So again, that refreshment of water in our life, a lot of struggles, a lot of problems. We feel so down. We feel so discouraged, so dry. Then we look up to God. We look up to Christ. Christ lives in us, that spring of water, springing up to life eternal. So I hope you see these little events are all types of our spiritual journey. Let's now see what happened when they arrived at Mount Sinai. It was like a three-month journey, right down in the wilderness. This mountain. When they arrived there, God told Moses to tell the people to prepare to meet God. So they were to prepare themselves, and then God would. Speak to them from Mount Sinai. So only Moses was allowed to go up. The rest were at the base of the mountain, not to touch it. And then thunder, lightning, a loud trumpet, and God descended in fire. And it looked like Mount Sinai was on fire. It's like a furnace. And Moses walked up into this awesome presence of God and he spent 40 days there with God what did God do during his 40 days God communicated his instructions to Moses and we only know we say oh Moses brought down the 10 commandments as if God took 40 days to tell him those 10 commandments which you can memorize in 10 minutes no 40 days, God taught Moses so that he could teach the people not only the Ten Commandments, which is what we call the book, the Jews call this the book of the covenant. This is the laws, the principles for our moral behavior. These principles are everlasting. They don't lie. You don't commit adultery. It's not for Jews or it's not just for Israel. It's for all men. This is God's principles for life. So those are the Ten Commandments. But God also communicated to Moses many other laws about how to live in their society. How to treat your wife, how to treat your kids, how to treat your slaves, how to treat your neighbors, how to deal with a thief, and so on. How to deal with your land. So those are like community laws. And then, God also gave them laws on how to worship Him. Largely, they were very specific details of how to build the tabernacle and how the priests would be dressed and behave and what they were supposed to do in the tabernacle so for 40 days Moses of course had to remember all these things probably asked a thousand questions to get it right because he had to teach the people right now when you read all this from exodus 20 all these laws The Ten Commandments, you want to take it very seriously. It's for us. Then the laws about community life. It's almost like, do you remember all the laws of Singapore about littering, about public nuisance, about divorce laws? I think lawyers know all those things. For us, we just want to know that there are those laws. We don't need to know the details of them. Furthermore, about the tabernacle, how it was to be embroidered, and how many cubits. Do you really need to know all those things? Frankly, no. They were meant for Israelite society and for Israelite worship. They're useful to know. I'm sure there are a lot of beautiful things in those details that are types for us to learn. We can learn about God through those things. we don't need to study them as if we are Israelites, oh, what do I do when you know uh, my neighbor steals my cattle? You know I mean, so what I'm trying to say here is a lot of Christians read this and say, "Oh my goodness, so many details so boring, I get stuck in this. don't get stuck. Just listen. It's good to know when I talk hear lawyers telling us about their divorce laws and their laws about I'm just interested. I don't like, oh, excuse me, what do you say? Uh, uh, take notes. There's no need. All right. So please remember to read the Bible or sometimes just listen to the Bible. Because if you read everything the same way, you will be very, take years to finish the Bible and you will get lost in the woods. That's why most Christians are lost in the woods. They don't know when to take It as if it's directly to me. Ten Commandments directly. I've got to memorize that. Do I memorize how to deal with cattle that are stolen? Alright? By an Israelite neighbor? I don't need to memorize it. I don't even need to read it in detail. I just need to hear it. So I hope you understand that. There's so many laws, and some people get stuck in the history of Israel, or the king and the king, and you can't even remember their names. For the Israelites, it's very important. That's their history. You learn your history. But we can learn things from their history. So I hope that when you come to chapters like chapter 21, 22, and go on to like tens of chapters, just listen to it and get the feel of it. So I hope you see here that God at Sinai was giving Moses rules how to live. They had now seen God's grace. Now they need to respond in gratitude. How do you show great gratitude to the one who's good to you, to your parents for example? By obeying them, by obeying their rules. So God was giving them now their responsibility to obey God. Let's now see what happened after Moses went up to the mountain, got all those regulations from God, The people were restless. 40 days. Where is this Moses? And so they told Aaron, Make us gods. And so Aaron said, All right, give me all your golden earrings, all your golden ornaments. And then he melted them and made a molten calf. That's kind of a very common God is a cow God in many nations, even to today. The cow looks strong. The cow is fertile. It produces uh, offspring. They give milk. And so people often worship the sun. They worship the cow. And so they made this cow God. And God told Moses, go down and deal with them. As Moses went down, he heard singing and he, people were having a orgy. They were naked dancing around, in having a wild party. Principle to learn. Usually, when a nation has idolatry, there's a lot of immorality. If you know God is up there, the big God looking down on you, He can see everything, you tend to behave yourself more carefully. But if your God is a little God you can put in a corner, his eyes cannot see, then you do a lot of things feeling very free because your God looks so tiny and impotent and anyway his eyes that don't see. So you find that idolatry and immorality tend to come together. In countries where with idolatry, sex trade, polygamy, all kinds of concubines, very, very normal. Go to a brothel, anywhere, idols are everywhere. There are more idols sometimes in a brothel than in a temple. Right? So, what do we learn? Okay. When you see idolatry, usually it is linked to immorality. So God's so angry with them, and Moses had to go up again for 40 days. This time and second 40 days with God. So let's end the story by a few, learn a few things. They We see that finally they built this amazing tabernacle. How did they build this tabernacle? How did slaves have the material to build the tabernacle? Fine linen, all kinds of beautiful, uh, Jewelry for the priest to wear, a ton of gold for the tabernacle to line the ark with gold. How did they have it? God had provided for them. Before they left Egypt, they were told, go and ask your neighbor for things and you will find favor. And the Egyptians gave them their things before they left. So they had all the material. How did they have the workmen to do this tabernacle? The first time we see God gives the spirit of wisdom to some workers. Now we always think the spirit of wisdom from God is to study, be a scholar and learn amazing things. you know we say that man has a spirit of wisdom, he can preach like an angel. The first time God gave the spirit of wisdom, it was for workmen to do embroidery and metalwork, work, to do the things for the temple. So what do we learn from this? We learn that oftentimes we have made our faith a very scholarly, a very brainy thing, when actually we can serve God with all the different talents that He has given us. Sometimes our talent is just befriending somebody. God gives us the spirit of befriending, spirit of encouragement. Right? So very so-called non-brilliant, non-academic, non-scholastic things are, also can be used to serve God. So finally the temple is built and you think, wow, the temple is built and Moses can't even enter the temple. The cloud comes down in glory and Moses cannot enter the temple. So we continue the story in the next book of Leviticus. So please just listen through Exodus. It's 40 chapters. You can just listen through it. You don't need to read it if you're not a reader. You could go through this book very quickly, less than an hour. You probably have an audio Bible and two hours, so you could finish this. So may I recommend this, First half Harvest Stories, for listening. Second half is laws, not for you, for the Israelites. So some parts of it you want to focus a little bit, like the Ten Commandments. You want to, and the rest, you could listen to it and get all the lessons that can bless you. Of course, if you're a scholar and you've read through the Bible many times, go ahead, read it and go dive deep into it. But if you've never been through the entire Bible, can I suggest just listen to the stories and then listen to the rules and get a better overview of the beauty of this Bible. God bless you.